On the show today, I'm joined by singer-songwriter extraordinaire Timothy James Bowen. We talk all about his music, his life, and more. Stay tuned for a brand new episode of Benjamin Man McKay's Talk To Me. Don't go anywhere. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of Benjamin Man McKay's Talk To Me. I'm your host, Benjamin, and I'm very excited Welcome to the show, Timothy James Bowen. Timothy is a wonderful Australian singer-songwriter. He's got three amazing EPs out right now, including his latest one, Bloom, which uh, only recently was released. You can get it on iTunes or via his website. It's got some wonderful songs on it. And Timothy is very much a, a storytelling musician. Each song uh, has something deeply personal for, for Timothy, and that's how he writes his music. And he's also written for the TV series Nashville, and he's just finished touring Australia with his big sister, Claire. He opened for her, Claire Bowen. And now he's back doing headlining gigs all around Australia. He's already done a couple. So if you're in Adelaide or uh, Sydney, you've missed out, but there are a whole lot more shows coming up. And uh, the dates for that are on his website. We've got a link in the show notes, so you can check out Timothy's music and his tour dates. So go see him live. But uh, here's my chat with the extraordinary Timothy James Bowen. Now, just a quick heads up on this one. There is a little bit of background noise. We've tried to eliminate as much as possible. But as with some of our face-to-face interviews, while we get a better rapport with a guest, sometimes there's a cafe ambience or hotel ambience or whatever else. So we've tried to remove it, but it is there. Hope you don't mind too much. Enjoy. Welcome to the show, Timothy. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me, Benjamin. <laughs> now... How did you get into music? What was the starting point for you? Um, the starting point, I can't really pick it. Um, I've, I've just kind of played music, or music has been a part of my life since I was tiny. Um, my sister and I used to compete with each other in the car and, you know, singing Disney songs on the way to school and that kind of thing. Um, but really, like, Claire sang, and I, you know, being my older sister, I want to be like her, so I sang too, and we just kind of kept doing it. Um, and from there, I guess I, I just sang mainly. I didn't really do much else in terms of instruments or anything. But um, I joined the St Mary's Cathedral Choir in Sydney when I was 10, and then got to kind of the top of the ranks for the younger, um, they're called trebles. They're sort of like a male soprano. Um, got to the top of the ranks of those guys and became like a head boy, which is sort of like a leader of those, um, that group. And then um, when I moved schools from there, we went down south and kept singing, but because I went from a like hardline Catholic school to an Anglican school where they sang rock music in church, I was like fish out of water because I was singing all this choral stuff to all these like rock band like <laughs> Hillsong songs. I was like, this doesn't work. So I had to like change my voice to kind of suit most of the adapt, stuff that was yeah. yeah, just adapt to the environment there. Um, and then taught myself how to play guitar. Um, started playing songs and kind of writing my own music and trying to emulate people like John Mayer and Pete Murray and um, just really grabbing onto the singer-songwriter thing. And then I went to the Conservatory of Music in Sydney and studied jazz vocals there and that was sort of where I really started to take it more seriously because I realised that I could actually learn more about music and learn more about theory and really get a good 
grasp of knowledge on everything. Um, and then from there, just really started focusing on music and writing and playing shows and going, like, doing gigs with the guys that I met at the con because they're all just, like, you know, ridiculous people with perfect pitch and, like, you know, get 100% in oral theory exams. <laughs> the worst kind of people. Yeah, yeah, just, like, so good at everything. Um, and so they taught me a lot and they, they helped, like, you know, really form a lot of the music that's coming out now. And from there, it really kind of just grew and when Claire... Um, ended up getting the, the TV show in Nashville. I followed her over there and just kind of was a fly on the wall for a bit and got invited to write for the show a couple of times and experienced the Nashville songwriting thing. And that that was really like kind of um, something that really sparked my interest because it was just such a new world and a, a new experience for me as, as a songwriter. So when you write for Nashville, do they give you scenarios or scenes or do they say write for this character or is it write a song that we could use somewhere along the line? Yeah, it's a bit of both. So they, um, they generally... Uh, they, you know, it can happen a number of different ways. They're, they're always looking for songs um, and some people write write songs and then send them in and say hey I've got this song do you want to use it in the background of a scene do you want to use it for a character like whatever so it's sort of like two different levels of where a song fits into the, um, the scene but occasionally they do have um, songwriters camps and they invite people from different publishing houses and different independent songwriters that they know can pull their weight um, into the one room for the day and everyone comes in and they get paired off into twos or threes and everyone just writes however many songs they can write in four or five hours. Everyone comes back and um, plays them at the end of the day. But at the start of that, that process, everyone will be briefed on, on what's coming up. So they make you like sign a non-disclosure agreement saying that you're not going to tell anyone what's going on in the series and all this stuff, but you find out all the storylines. So there's all these like big reveals about everything that's coming up and it's really funny watching some of the because some of the songwriters are big fans of the show and so they really want to do well for the show but it's also spoilers for them because <laughs> they're halfway through the series and they're like oh no this character has this happen and it's just like hilarious watching like people that are fans of the show write for it as well because they're just like oh I just wrecked my whole experience of this TV show well, <laughs> if they do tell you stories did you know about, I suppose, the biggest plot twist of this year? I, I feel like most people have seen it, but Raina died. Yeah. Did you know that was coming? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, we, we had, to, had to keep it really hush-hush. Um, but, yeah, as, like, you know, you kept confidential until the show airs and then public knowledge so that's yeah, okay but yeah they because um, that was one of the things that we had to do for the last time I was there which I can't remember exactly what month it was I think maybe October last year um, but that was one of the things that we got briefed on and <laughs> it was like this shock horror moment where the lady running the event um, just stood up and was like look have a uh, you know everyone needs to stay real quiet about this but I have an awful surprise for you Raina dies and the whole room just went 
and everyone's like, oh, what song could I write about this? And like, you know, trying to figure out whether songs were being played at a funeral or mm. that kind of thing. So that was sort of like part of the brief. So would you have known before some of the cast? Because I remember uh, a friend of mine, Ed, some of the set medics knew stuff before he knew stuff because of the order the scripts got handed out in. Yeah, I I would say that would be like, it it definitely would be revealed to different people at different times because some people it's not relevant to. Mm. So why tell them? And, you know, the closer the circle can be, the better. I mean, the songwriters are are usually, like, they're pretty tight-lipped about everything because if they're not, Nashville's a really small town and people will find out. So it's like, you just... It's it's all entertainment and it's for the good of the show that no one else knows of because course. it's it's exciting yeah. finding that stuff out. So. And I, I would assume this would have to be a highlight for your career, but you played the Opry with Claire. Yeah. And that video is on YouTube, and people go watch that. <laughs> how how do you prepare to play the Opry? I mean, it's hallowed. You know, everyone has played that. I don't know. I mean, because I've I've had the privilege of playing it a couple of times with Claire, and um, most times that we've done it, we've done it where Claire goes on and plays a song and then she invites me out as a special guest for her show. Um, and it's just like... I, I don't know whether you can really prepare for it in the sense of the word that... I don't know, I think it's more you just have to be really relaxed and ready, and mm. but like confident that you know what you're doing. Um, but there's not, there's not really anything that... I can say I, I do other than just like regular prep, like learning the songs properly and making sure that, you know, I know what my part is and I know what Claire's part is and what she's singing and just singing it through a whole bunch with her and whoever else is on stage and just doing that. But it's an interesting process because the the backing band that, that are like the house band for mm. the Opry, they, um, they're all session musicians. So... They basically come in, and when you go to the show, you send them like recordings of everything um, beforehand, so they get an idea of the structure of the song and they learn it. And then you turn up about half an hour before you go on stage, and band is in uh, in the band cage, which is like this little room out the back that's just got like a whole bunch of basses and guitars and keyboards and a computer and like this little setup for rehearsal it's like tiny room but because the I mean the band's huge it's like there's often two guitar players and a bass player and a drummer and a keyboarder and like a keyboardist and like three backup singers and <laughs> dream band it's, it's dream band just at your fingertips which is great but um yeah we basically like walk backstage do an acoustic run through with the band so they know what's going on they know where the hits are drummer always counts it off so that's always like consistent and then you walk away and you hang out in your dressing room for um, you know however long until you're supposed to go on and then they call you out and you just walk on stage but it's an interesting feeling because I played at the main Opry a couple of times and had the like just delight complete it's like the only word that you can describe it of playing the Ryman uh, at Christmas time um, sorry the Opry at Christmas time at the Ryman because um, they they closed yeah. down the main Opry to kind of service it and clean everything and just that like, the Christmas pantos as well oh okay cool I didn't know that. yeah. <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> <laughs> well um, yeah and so they have it at the Ryman which is the original venue of the Opry um, 
And so that that is just so special, but it's so much smaller than than the other thing because it's it's purpose built for it. Um, but yeah, there's you walk on stage and it's just blinding lights and a, a, a very literal wall of people. Like you, I've never experienced anything that feels like that before, where you you can sense like five thousand people right there and just a wall of people it's it's really cool that it's one of, one of the best experiences and what about the bluebird I mean obviously it's been around for 35 years but it was put to more prominence I suppose because of the show have you had the opportunity to play the bluebird yet? yeah yeah I've been lucky enough to play the bluebird a couple of times which has been just so special um, and that that's like I think that's probably one of my favourite venues because for at least for the writers round the writers rounds that they do when they have multiple artists in there for anyone that doesn't know writers round is four musicians get in a circle and, and they share a song each and go around um, and hence writers round so they, they kind of go through and each artist might do four songs each during that set um, but at the Bluebird they set them up in the middle of the room and it's you're literally just surrounded by diners and people that are lucky enough to get in there. So it's uh, it's really, it's a, it's a whole different experience because, you know, I think, um, oh, like one night Steve Tyler turned up at the Bluebird and just sat in on a whole bunch of songs. And so you've got Steve Tyler from Aerosmith sitting in this tiny, tiny room with like a hundred people that are all just like crowding over their sweet potato fries and their burgers and like on top of each other like you can reach out and touch the person next to you everyone's so close and there's a line you know two three hours before they open everyone lines up and it's every night it's full it's it's just just the best place it's so cool well obviously you have a lot of love for the city of Nashville and its venues (laughs) you you... couldn't tell (laughs) I know I know (laughs) have you considered moving full time over there yeah, I have. And I thought a lot about uh, a couple of years ago in particular just because Claire was over there and she was doing so well and it, it was just... When you when you go to Nashville, I don't know how other people experience it, but for me it really felt like... It, it just felt like home. Like, it, you go there and everyone's so lovely and you just have this weird connection with everybody. Like, one of the things I noticed was even just going to a cafe, 99% of the people in the cafe are musicians and the other 1% want to be. And it's like, it's it's such a different environment because everyone is just so excited about what everybody else is doing. There's no, there's no kind of, like, narky jealousy or any... At least you don't come across it's it It's a collaborative often. environment, yeah. which is unusual for the arts. Yeah, and I, I think it does... Happen like that because of the songwriter aspect mm. where people are writing in the same room and you'll have three or four people on the same song and then all of those people get success and you're like, yeah, I'm just happy for my friends that they got this mad hit with Kenny Rogers. <laughs> it's like, that's great. That's so good. Well, one of uh, one of your songs was sung by Deacon on the show uh, a couple of years back now, I think. Yeah, yeah. Two, yeah. I think 2014, maybe 2015, I can't remember. So was there a, as much as that is a fantastic thing, did you kind of want to sing that song as well for your own EPs? Because I know it must be hard to give up something you spend time working on. 
Yeah, well, that so that song was uh, written at, at one of the writers' camps that, that I was talking about. So specifically written for the show with um, two other really talented songwriters, Stephanie Lambring and Andy Albert. Um, and they're kind of like Nashville staples and, and the guys that run a lot of the song production for the show um, specifically requested that they come because it's just a cool thing. So I, w- I just... Luck of the draw got put with these guys, and we actually so the the writing camp happened on set, and uh, we got to write inside of the flake the fake bluebird, so the the one that they set up that's big enough to put all the cameras through and that they can access you know twenty four hours a day. It's so similar. It's Which, the, it's the weirdest thing standing so in the fake similar. one and then going to the real one. <laughs> the only noticeable difference is they got a photo of Rainer and Deacon on the wall. That's yeah. the only thing that's different. Exactly, and the tables are just that little bit more far apart so that the handheld operators can get through. But, um, yeah, we sat down and we wrote a couple of songs that day and that, that was the one that got picked. And I, I do play it live a lot just because I love the song, but it's um, taken on a whole bunch, a whole, whole different meaning uh, itself in the last little while. Um, just because of everything that's happened over the past 18 months for my health. Um, and, yeah, I, the, the tipping point, so just to explain, I was diagnosed with a form of blood cancer in, at the end of 2015. And, um, yeah, nearly, nearly didn't make it. So it's a very good feeling to be here. But basically... The last time that I came over, so from here on out was always a really favourite song, and, mm. but I never really had like a super strong connection with it because it wasn't, it wasn't something that I wrote so for me. Not your story. Yeah. yeah, it wasn't my story. I wrote it for Deacon and Rainey, you know. Um, but uh, the last, well, the, so the first time I came back to America after being sick, I got in, and about five days after I got in, um, Charles Eston called. Claire and he was holding a, an event for Light the Night which is a um, leukemia yeah, uh, yeah it's like blood cancer kind of overarching um, I think it's run by the Leukemia Foundation but the Leukemia Foundation kind of crosses over into a lot of blood related cancers mm-hmm. and, um, basically he was holding an event that was just they were auctioning off a guitar that was signed by a whole bunch of people on the show had a whole bunch of cast members from the show turning up and playing as well as like other special guests that would just come and play and have a good night um and so Charles was asking Claire whether she wanted to come and play and Claire was like yeah I'd love to do you mind if my brother comes along and he was like oh my god is he ta- is he back because Charles obviously knew everything that was going on because of Claire and everyone's been so supportive of that um and so I, I ended up going to this thing and Chip was like do you do you want to sing with me and I was like, I would, I would love to sing with you. Is that even a question? <laughs> and so we got up on stage and we sang verse for verse from here on out. And um, got to the very last verse. He, he sang the first one and I sang the second one. And then he, he kind of handed it over to me in the last verse as this kind of instrumental break just before the last verse. And he was like, man, you and Andy and Steph, you, you guys wrote this song. And, uh, and I got to sing it, so it's my song, but really really this this is yours now and you know you go for it man and 
the the line that that you sing is the, the line that is the last verse is I thank God that I'm with you here tonight. That's all I ever needed in this life. And it's like that was just this huge light bulb moment that was like the song means so much more now than it ever did a year ago. You know, it was still a beautiful song that meant a lot, but now it's got like personal substance and personal meaning. Well, I noticed a lot of your songs have that personal connection, that that story. And is that something you believe is crucial to a song? Because the vast majority of contemporary or pop music doesn't have that same story or that same emotion. Mm. So I suppose at the, at the risk of cutting out that market, do you still feel like you have to put a sort of a story? Um, I feel like it's important for me. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think it's necessarily integral for a good song to have a mad story. If it feels good <laughs> and it makes people happy, then that's awesome. You know, if they're saying two words and that, that makes people dance and you know have a good time, or if that means something to them, it, I, I think I think songs are purely subjective. If it if it means something to you, then that's 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 it. That's all that needs to happen. Um, for me, I I have my own kind of standards for what I would like my songs to be, and I feel like the more honesty that I put into them and the more clarity with lyrics. It, that that kind of makes the most sense just from my own writing. Do you think there's been much of a, an evolution or a change from your first EP to the latest one, Bloom? Oh, absolutely. It's it's a um, a complete complete um, metamorphosis in so that I think sense. Was the first you had a couple of tracks on Triple J Unearthed or something for the first EP? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, one called The Beggar, and it's sort of just like this, you know medium tempo chuggy kind of almost bluegrassy tune um, it's really fun and, and people loved it and I still play it every once in a while I might even play it tonight at this show um, but it's uh, yeah it, it, it's it's just a lot of that has just changed so much because I think my own understanding of you know lyrical concepts and and uh, just practice doing it like you write more you get better at it it's like anything so you've talked a lot about the writing side of it but when it comes to it you've still got to perform as it were mm. when you step on stage do people is it a performance persona or is it just very much you it's me um it's definitely like a, a heightened <laughs> sense of me but it is it's me um and I think that's really important because I mean, so much of everything that I that I want to put out to the world is just honesty, and that's that's something that's really hit home in the past twelve months. Um, because it's almost like you just feel I I feel at least I I don't have time to be fake. It's mm. like why why you know I I get why people do it, and that's like totally totally cool for them. Like the, I you know. But putting on a mask and doing the kind of cloak and dagger kind of thing, I, I just, for me, honesty feels like it's the best way to go and, and it's, it's all about whether it feels good and if it feels good, do it. You know? And you are on tour at the moment, performing all over Australia. Mm. Um, by the time this gets out, you've already played Adelaide. <laughs> yeah. Where are you going from here? Um, so from here... 
Um, we're August 12th today, so <laughs> I'm in Adelaide right now. Um, I'm doing a hometown show at a, for a house concert in Minamara, which is down near Kayama. It's about two hours south of Sydney. Um, and that's kind of where I have grown up the last 10 years or so. So that one's going to be really special. Um, and then where to after that? 1st of September in Canberra. Um, 9th of September in Melbourne at the Wesleyan in Northcote. Um, 21st of September in Sydney at Leadbelly in Newtown, which used to be the Vanguard. Um, 24th of September in Brisbane at the Milk Factory. 25th, I can't remember where the venue is, but it's like a special charity event. Um, and I'll be putting everything up on my website uh, probably today, in fact. <laughs> I need to update that. But that's, that's kind of the near future. And I've got a couple of um, uh, dates with a gentleman by the name of Kyle Lineheart who's um, just, if, if you haven't heard of him, get on to him. He's just like sort of a, a healthy mix between like Lior and Matt Corby and just like tasty singer-songwriter goodness. <laughs> so I'm doing a whole bunch of dates with him in whole, November. That's a whole lot of dates. A whole lot of dates. And they're all on the website. Yeah. Which is... TimothyJamesBowen.com Fantastic. And all your EPs are available there as well, I believe. Yeah, they are. As well as uh, you can't, listeners can't see it, but I've got a little enamel badge on my um, on my lapel it's like a, a little feather and basically it's it's become a, a bit of a symbol over the past little while because when I found out that I was in remission um, my fiance Christina well yeah fiance Christina and my mum and dad were all at the specialist meeting and they were like what do you want to do and I was like let's go and have pancakes and then we'll figure out what's next and they were just like okay cool had pancakes and they were like, all right, what do you want to do with the rest of your day? And I was like, I want to go to Katoomba and get a hat, <laughs> which is about a three-hour drive away from where we were. So we drove to the Blue Mountains, went to Katoomba, to the Hattery and bought an Akubra and uh, just sat and watched the sun go down over the Three Sisters and just hung out for a bit and that was awesome. But that hat, um, I ended up putting a kookaburra feather that I found in Nashville, of all places, in the hat. And Christina's sister, who was also a doctor and also a fantastic artist and musician in her own right, um, she drew the feather and then I sent it to a, an enamel pin-making company and they were like, yeah, we can put that together. And so they made it and I had them made especially for Claire's tour. And so they've become the remission pin. Um, you can buy those on the website as well as bandanas and CDs and everything. So it's sort of, it's nice to have everything up and rolling again. <laughs> yeah, that's a great little story for such yeah. a... Yeah, it's, it's well, people see the pin and they're like, oh, that's really cool. What's the story behind it? I'm like, do you have time? <laughs> <laughs> you just direct them to any time you've told the story online. Names. <laughs> yeah, they're like, direct it to this podcast. <laughs> Well, look, thank you so much for your time today, Timothy. It's, it's been great talking to you and all the best with all the dates and whatever future releases that you have because I'm sure you've got new music in the works. Mm, yeah, and, I do. <laughs> <laughs> and that would be available from the website, I'm assuming, when... It, it will be when it's out. It's, um, I've actually got a really exciting one coming up very soon, which is... Uh, so I, I, got to ask, ooh, I got to ask to uh, 
be an ambassador for the Cancer Council just recently, um, which is a huge honour and it's, it's such a, an important cause to kind of jump on and, and support for research. But um, when I spoke to them, I, I already had a song that I'd written specifically about nurses, which is called Angels in Blue. You can find that on um, my Facebook site and just I released it yesterday, we were talking before. Um, and it's now gained about 30,000 views on Facebook and it's just going gangbusters, which is great. Anyway, I told the Cancer Council about that and they said, oh, are you going to record it anytime soon? And I thought, yeah, yeah, I'm hoping to, but then had a second thought about whether I could just write a song specifically for them. Um, and their, their theme for Daffodil Days is called For Someone I Know. Um, and so I thought, that's a really cool song title. It's a great song title. Yeah, so I was like, all right, I'll, I'll sit on it. I won't tell them about anything because if nothing happens, nothing happens and nothing's, you know, lost. Mm. So I went away and over the weekend, that weekend, I, I wrote a song and then came back to them Monday and said, well, I, I do have that song about the nurses, which I'm going to release anyway, but would you like this song um, specifically for you guys? And so I wrote a song called For Someone I Know, which I'll play tonight. Um, and they loved it and so we've just finished recording it and it's going to be released real soon we don't have an exact date yet but it'll be out before the 25th of August um, which is Daffodil Day and all of the proceeds of the sale of the song will go and streaming and stuff will go to the Cancer Council so it's a pretty big initiative to kind of get some not so much I mean you know buying music isn't isn't a huge um profit to a lot of people anymore because of online streaming and all of that but it's more about sharing the song around and, and really gaining attention and and kind of making people aware that you know cancer council does amazing things highlighting an important issue in a way that's more enjoyable yeah an essay yeah yeah and and exactly it's not you know giving someone a lecture it's just saying hey look this is what you can do for someone that needs help and you know, if that help is making a cup of tea or holding someone's hand, then that's that's going to help. You that's know. fantastic. And did Claire do a similar thing for a hospital over in Nashville? Yeah. Love steps in. So the hospital's in Memphis. It's called St Jude's, and it's specifically a, a children's hospital. Um, and they have a huge cancer research facility there. It's it's the most incredible place because they, um, I mean, in in America, obviously healthcare isn't free. Um, and it's really expensive. Um, what St Jude's does is, for any child that comes through there, they don't have to pay for treatment. It's like they they go through the treatment, and regardless of what happens, um, they give you a, a essentially like a, a receipt at the end of the um, time that you spent in hospital with everything that's gone through, and it'll come to like a, a total of you know, say $500,067 or whatever. Um, and then it's like total amount owed and it's just like zero. And that's all they do. And they pay for people's accommodation and groceries and everything. But when Claire uh, released her song called Love Steps In, um, which was written by Brandon Young and Justin Halpin. Brandon Young is Claire's fiance. Um, when she released that, all of the proceeds from that went back to St. Jude's. So it's a pretty pretty special initiative to 
kind of give back in yeah. that sense and especially for that song being about me and, and our journey and you know how we've grown up together it's it's just really really beautiful I feel like your family needs to make an album now <laughs> I feel like there's all of you because you've got Claire and Brandon you've got yourself and, and your fiance who can also sing yeah, we found yeah, out you know, yeah exactly so we've got everyone's <laughs> musical Everyone. Everyone. So I feel like some sort of family album. Yeah, well, there is there is one song that we keep singing on tour called Sound of Love that hasn't been recorded yet, but we have all agreed that we can't record the song without having all four of us on it. So yeah. I'm sure there'll be some kind of a family album sometime soon. <laughs> if not, a few family songs integrated on one of our albums somewhere. Yeah. Along the line. Yeah. Well, actually, <laughs> I saw that Claire's releasing an album at some point in the future. Have you written anything for the album? Um... Well, so I haven't been involved with the process of actually mm. choosing the songs. So for her, um, she's writing with a whole bunch of different people and she's written with so many over the last couple of years being in Nashville um, that she's got a, a huge catalogue of songs to choose from. So I, I have a feeling there are a couple that we've written together that will be on the album, but I'm not sure which ones just yet. And, uh, yeah, a lot of them are, you know things that we've written forever ago that, that are still relevant now yeah. and um, other things that you know might have been on the record have kind of been replaced by something that feels more genuine because it's newer in, in the sense of where Claire's at um, at the moment with her songwriting and yeah so it'll be an interesting thing to find out because I, I don't even know <laughs> find out with the rest of it's us it's all in Claire's pocket <laughs> <laughs> alright well we will, we will wrap it up there, but thank you once again. It's been great talking to you and hearing all your stories, and we'll have a link to the website where everything's available in the show notes of the podcast so listeners can uh, get there and check out your music and hopefully see you live somewhere across the country or internationally at some point in the future. <laughs> yeah, fingers crossed. Thank you so much for having me, Benjamin. It's been a pleasure. That was my chat with Timothy James Bowen. You can check out his music and his tour dates on his website. The link for that is in the show notes of this podcast. I saw him live when he was in Adelaide. He is fantastic. I do highly recommend checking him out. Well, I've been your host, Benjamin Man McKay. Thanks, as always, to our incredible supporters, Palace Nova Cinemas and Mad Zombie Collectibles. All their details are on the website. We'll be back later in the month for another exciting episode of Talk To Me with another great guest. Until next time, I've been your host, Benjamin Man McKay. See you soon. (laughs) 